let's look at some things that we can do now in this freeness. Is freeness a word? Freedom. I just made it up. How about that? In this freeness. Or how about this? In this freedom, okay? Galatians 5, starting with verse 1, says, Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must, also che- must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. John 8, 36 says, Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. The Passion Translation says, So if the Son sets you free from sin, then become a true Son and be unquestionably free. We have been set free into sonship. We're now sons and daughters of the living God. Christ is the firstborn among many brothers, or he's the firstborn among many sons and daughters. He was the ultimate example of what a true free son is. He showed us how we could actually live, how we could actually walk, how we could actually be who we really are. Jesus went about restoring and rebuilding. We talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. We were in Isaiah 58. Right? It says, the Lord will guide you. This is verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild deserted ruins of cities. Then you will be known as rebuilder of walls and restorer and a restorer of homes. And that prophecy is speaking about Jesus working through his people. And it was for a specific people at that time, but prophetically we can take that and see that, well, this is what also Jesus did when he was on the earth. He restored and he rebuilt, and he brought water to the desert places, and he brought refreshment and brought life again. And if he is the picture of what a true son is, then us being sons and daughters of the living God, this is what we should be doing. We should be rebuilding our communities. Jeremiah 29. When you hear Jeremiah 29, what's the verse that you automatically want to go to? Verse 11, right? But you know, there's a whole whole section before that that helps us put verse 11 into context. Let's turn there real quick. Jeremiah 29, we're going to start with verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I do not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, uh, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill, I will fulfill you, 
fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for harm, to give you a future and a hope. We love that last verse because that last verse we could put on a coffee mug, right? For I know the plans that God has for me, for one, for a future and a hope. He's got welfare planned out for me. I am to be well, right? We skip over the hard part. What's the hard part? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Get married. Have kids. Have grandkids. Have great-grandkids. Have great-great-grandkids. Multiply. Don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you. Pray for its welfare because you will find welfare as the city finds welfare. And don't let anyone convince you otherwise. You are here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. It may look like a few, but can I tell you something? Jesus only had 12. It's not about numbers. It's about what we're building and planting. It's about the multiplication that happens between our friends and families and those that we connect with. We want them to come here and be a part of us. But hopefully we would know by now that that doesn't always work. And in the past, when it comes to growing churches, that becomes such a, um, that becomes such a Walmart idea <laughs> that we just want to keep, you know, almost, it's almost like you want to franchise it. You just want to keep pulling people in and then building. And, and if someone doesn't come and join you, what do we normally do? We just kind of cast them off to the side. Where they were, when they were brought into your sphere of influence for a reason. We don't drop them because they won't come to church. We keep pouring into them. How many of you have relationships with people that you've invited them maybe a hundred times and they've never come, but they still rely on you for the wisdom that you have that you receive from the Father? We just don't quit. It's easy to quit and get discouraged. We just keep we just keep planting and keep building. This passage of scripture was for a group of people that wasn't in an area by choice. <laughs> they were actually prisoners, slaves in a foreign country. And the father spoke to them and said, uh, hey guys, quit crying about getting out of there and just build. Quit looking at your surroundings and thinking, you know what, we've been trying for a long time and or uh, this place is just not is just not. He said, build, plant, multiply, don't decrease. Start seeking the welfare of the community. Pray for it. Because in the welfare of that community, you'll find your welfare. And then he goes and brings in the encouragement. This is going to be hard work. It's hard to restore and rebuild. It's hard to put yourself out there in this brand new adventure, putting yourself out there on a limb and actually being vulnerable enough to connect with people, to get in their mess, and to share hope. Because what happens? A lot of times when people are in their mess, they don't want to hear hope, right? They just want to keep grumbling and complaining. They don't want to hear that there's life on the other side. They want to stay in their mess. So it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. 
it's not going to be pretty. And then when you start hanging out with people that are in mess, what are other people going to start saying about you? The same thing they said about Jesus. Why are you spending time with them? They're, they're not going to amount to anything. Why are you talking to them? Why do you keep sharing with them? For a group that Jesus started almost 2,000 years ago, that was all-inclusive, we sure have gotten real inclusive in the last, or real exclusive in the last hundred years or so. We sure have shut out a lot of people in the last couple hundred years. When Jesus was like, all are welcome. I don't know why we freak out over where we think people are. I don't, know, I don't know how many conversations in the last, I don't know how many months, these last few months, especially since Christmas, somebody will hear something that I've said about how, about the love of the Father, the love of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate, discriminate, and they get so angry. What do you mean God loves everybody? I think that's what Scripture says. <laughs> what do you mean you would welcome anybody? I think that's what Jesus did. I mean, I think if Jesus sat in a room full of religious leaders and let a prostitute wash his feet, I'd say that's pretty inclusive. <laughs> I, I don't know. We are so scared by the actions of people that we forget the grace, love, and mercy of God. We just completely forget it. We think, we... we we, we, we would say out of our mouths at one point that, that God loves and God's merciful and God cares and God's for you and not against you and God loves you and God wants you to come to be a part of his family. And God, we, you know, we say all that, but as, as soon as we notice any dirt, or as soon as we notice anything that we think is dirt, we automatically cut them off. We want them to clean up. We want them to do all this stuff before they actually come. Jesus had a message for a thought process like that. He said, you without sin. So, building, planning, multiplying, seeking the welfare of the city, seeking the welfare of our community, restoring, rebuilding... It's a messy project. It's not pretty. And it's not fast. I get so nervous because I, I've, I've been doing ministry like this for years. I'm talking, I've got a plaque in, in the office that, that celebrated 20 years. I think that was five years ago. And my, almost that entire 20-some years that I've been doing this, I've been constantly told or pressured into things have to happen fast. And people talk, and people talk about multiplying. When they talk about multiplying, they, they talk about almost like 
it's something that you do in a math class and you just took two, take two numbers and add it up. But multiplying when it comes to people takes time. It takes a process. Sometimes rebuilding and restoring, you're going to have to step back and take it slow. And nobody likes slow, especially me. I do not like slow. You should ride with me in a car when somebody slow gets in front of me. I don't like to drive slow. Yes, or, or my kids on Sunday morning. When I'm ready to go, I want to go. <laughs> I want to move. I do not like slow. And for some reason, I think slow equals failure. And what I'm learning more and more is that I think the father is more like a farmer than he is a business owner. I think the kingdom of God is more agrarian than it is city-fied, if that makes sense. I think the kingdom's more rural than it is urban. That doesn't mean things doesn't happen in the urban places, but I see things growing and things taking place and stuff that has a solid foundation takes time to build. Did you know the majority of churches that are built in Europe right now are over four to 500 years old? They're still standing? Because when they built them, they built them to last? Because they knew that that structure was going to be a part of the community in their eyes forever? So they built them to last that long? And that when they built those places, it didn't, they didn't just build them and boom, they were done in a, in a month or so. When they built them, they took their time, and sometimes it took 10, 15 years to build them. And they're still standing. I live in a house that's probably was built maybe 40 years ago, and every time the wind blows, I'm afraid it's going to fall down. <laughs> The kingdom and even the beginnings of the church, we focus so much on those, those chapters and we think that things happen so fast. But when you actually look at a timeline of what happened in Acts, you see several years that took place. It didn't just happen, boom, and then the next week, boom, and then the next week, boom. It took year after year, line upon line, precept upon precept to build. So what I'm sharing might not sound encouraging to you because you're, you're like me, you want things fast. But maybe we can find some shalom, some peace in the slowing down. And realize that the Father's after obedience and not sacrifice. And a lot of times in the fast, 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 all we're doing is throwing down sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and it's getting bloody. And he wants your obedience. Another word for obedience in the Hebrew, in that context, is relationship. He wants relationship. And the same thing works not only between us and the Father, but it works between us and other people. Other people don't want another sacrifice. They want relationship. Why is social media so big? Because people want relationship. What's the problem with social media? It's relationship without strings. 
And so what does social media become? A big sacrificial altar where there's a lot of bloodshed and a lot of friendships broken over words that are said because there's no relationship. There's things that you can say on social media that you would never say over a cup of coffee at a table. Right? So that's why there's a process. There's something that we're going to have to walk, to walk through. It, it's, it's, it's something that's going to take some time. So here's the good news. You and I have been set free to be us, to be who we actually are. And we're still walking through that process, and that process takes time. Right? So in that freedom of being us, in that freedom of finding the Father and finding out who we, who we really is and finding ourselves and who we really are, what we can do now with that, with those, with those pieces, we can start to restore and start to rebuild and start to plant and start to eat what we plant, harvesting, right? Start growing. Start growing natural, spiritual families. Start coming together and, and actually discipling folks. We seek the welfare of our community. The word welfare there in uh, Jeremiah is the word shalom. It means completeness, soundness, safety, health, prosperity, peace, friendship with each other and with the Father. That's what shalom means. We seek the shalom, the completeness, the soundness, the safety, the health, the prosperity, the peace, the friendship of our community. And then he comes in and says he has a plan for us, plan for, plans for shalom and not calamity. The word calamity there is the word raw. It means unpleasant. It means sad, bad. So he has shalom for us, not the unpleasant, not the sad, not the bad, not the evil. And then he goes further and says plans of a future and a hope. The word future there is the same word used when Moses is talking to God on the side of the mountain. And, God, and, and Moses asks, can I see you, God? And God says, you can't see me, but when I pass by, you can look at my backside. Or my hinder parts. That's weird, right? Really weird. <laughs> Until you realize what's going on. If you cross-reference that passage with the moment that Abraham was walking with Isaac's and Isaac and some of his servants, and it says on the third day, Abraham looked and saw the place from afar. And then it says he turned to his servants and, say, and said, you stay here, me and the boy will go and we will return to you. What was Abraham going to do? He was going to go sacrifice his son. But he looked at those other people and said, stay here and we'll come back to you. It should have been, stay here and I will come back to you, right? There's something going on. Those words aren't in Scripture for coinkydink. For a coincidence, they're there for a reason. They're trying to show you something. And so when you go back and you look, when it says that Abraham looked, it's the same word, hinder parts. <laughs> so what was happening? God was showing His people 
his omega-ness, or where he's going, his future. Now, if, you read, if you read Scripture from cover to cover, you know his future looks bright. It's so bright he's got to wear shades. I've got to throw an 80s song in every once in a while. But his future's bright, and his future is where your future is. And so he's saying, listen, I, I, I've got plans for you, plans of shalom, not calamity, not raw. And I'm going to show you my future. I'm going to show you my hinder parts with me. And I'm going to show you hope. That word hope has a kind of, it, it, it's, it's what we would normally see when we talk about hope. But there's an extra little piece to it. That's, it, it's called a, it, it, it can be used as a cord as well. And what he's saying is, he says, I, basically, you are bound to my future. So I have plans for you, plans for shalom, and you are bound to me. You ain't going nowhere, son, daughter. Doesn't matter what the outlook looks all around you. Doesn't matter what the community looks like that you're in. You are bound to me, and my future's bright, so that means your future's bright. And guess what? Since you're in the community, that community's future is bright. Because you're the restorer and you're the rebuilder. This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, is bound to the Father. They are one. So the Father's future is bright. The Son's future is bright. And he came to announce that to the entire universe. And because he's tied to the entire universe, guess what? He brought all of us into the Father's future. You all right? This makes sense? This is total freedom. We see that our freedom is not only tied to the Father, but the freedom that we have is tied to the community. So true freedom, we can experience true freedom when we start setting other people free. When our communities start getting free, our freedom is truly experienced. Let me prove that to you. Prove it to you. Yesterday, we went to see my daughter cheer her last game. And it was the first time that my dad got to come. And he sat next to me. And every time she would cheer and every time she would say something, he was so excited and so pumped that he not only was excited about her cheering, but she, he started to get excited about all these kids on the basketball, basketball floor that he had no idea who they were. And he was rooting for both teams. The cheerleaders really did their job. <laughs> but he was rooting for everybody. His excitement was built and experienced through other people's excitement. My daughter's freedom to do cheer did something in his heart and caused him to cheer. So their freedoms were connected. It's the same way with our community. When we start releasing freedom in our community and they start getting set free, it causes our freedom to cry even louder. Like we become like um, William Wallace on the battlefield. Freedom! Right? So, 
Let's talk a little bit about some strategy for freedom in our communities, okay? And I'm going to try not to go too much longer. I can continue this on, all right? Let's talk strategy a little bit. At the center of any strategy should be Jesus. Our entire worldview is summed up in Jesus. What happens when we discover Jesus? We discover who the Father really is, right? We discover the Holy Spirit. We discover who we really are. Jesus. It's one word. You want to talk, talk about simplistic theology? Jesus. One word. It's so simple, yet it's so complex. It's so simple that anybody can get it. It's like a virus. It's so complex that theologians can study, study him and the idea of Jesus forever and never be satisfied. It's simple enough that both a, a theologian and a simple man can get it. But it takes us an entire lifetime to live out what it means to know Jesus fully. Who Jesus is the idea of Jesus, the Christology of Jesus, all of that is like a virus. It's contagious. And all it takes is a simple sneeze to spread it. You ever watched the movie Outbreak before? came out a couple years ago. Somebody smuggled in a monkey from another country. The monkey had a disease and it basically infected the entire United States. It was crazy. There's some crazy quotes in there when they talk about viruses. Did you know that once you catch a cold, you never lose it? It stays with you forever? It just mutates? You know that? When you catch a cold and you're, you get another cold, it's the cold that you got probably when you were a kid. It's just mutated in your body to show you new symptoms. Did you know you never lose chicken pox once you catch them? It stays in your spine. How many of you ever had shingles before? Those are fun. You can get in an accident and jar your spine and release that, and you can get shingles. It's crazy how powerful a virus is. I think that's why when you read in Scripture, it says, when you teach a child, they'll never depart from it. Why? Because when you really do teach people, teach your kids about Jesus, they're infected with it. It sticks with them. It stays with them. So, his life, his words, his ministry, all these things, It's what we base 
all our theology after. It's what we base our life after. But just think about it. In his life, in his words, in his ministry, all those point to who the Father really is. Not only does it point to who the Father really is, it points to who we really are. It awakens us to that. It brings metanoia, repentance, a change of mind, and causes us to move in a brand new direction. That's why it's called a new life, a new creation. And then when you add the cross, uh-oh. And when you add the cross, now everything that we used to be and who we used to think we are died right here with Him. And when He raised from the dead... He brought us new life. And not, not, not only when He raised from the dead did He bring us new life, when He ascended to heaven, He gave us the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave and never forsake and now resides right here on the inside of us. All that starts right here. I was thinking on the way out here just how huge of an event the cross is. And I was just using myself for example. All my shame. All the dumb stuff that I've done. All the stupid things that I've ever thought about myself. I would not wish that on anybody. The shame that I have felt from things in my past. I would never want anyone else to experience that. I would never want anybody else to experience the late nights of not being able to fall asleep over anxiety and stuff and junk and all that garbage. I would never want anybody to go through and feel like I felt like in high school when I felt like I was a nobody and felt like I was an outcast and felt like I didn't fit in. All the shame and the weirdness and feeling weird about how I looked. I wouldn't want anybody to go through that, but yet he became all of that and died. And then you add up all the dumb, stupid, idiotic things. That's just me. Can you, now you multiply that by every single person ever in existence. He became all of those shames. All of that sin. All of that uh, just wrong thinking of ourselves. He became all of that at the cross and died. And then left it in the grave. So our strategy of freedom for our community is real simple. It starts with Jesus. It's so simple, it's complex. We share His life, His words, His ministry. Because in those things, what happens? People not only find out about Jesus and how much he loves and how much he cares, but they find out the true identity of the Father. Right? And things start to shift. Okay? One more thing I want to add to that. He's Lord. Sometimes... Because we do, I, I do especially, I, I talk a lot about the grace and the mercy of Jesus and how much He loves, but He's also Lord. 
sometimes in, in our freedom, we, we kind of overlook that a little bit. And we put ourselves in the position of Lord. And that don't work. <laughs> right? He is Lord. He is in control. What happens when we take Jesus out of the position of Lord is we domesticate him. We make him safe. But if you remember the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, there's a quote in there from a beaver to, to one of the kids. They say, is Aslan safe? And the badger says, is it safe? He said anything about him being safe. He's not safe. He is good. And it's a perfect picture of Jesus. Jesus doesn't call us to safety. He calls us to adventure. Life with Jesus is a risk. And the reason why it's a risk is because you are giving up everything that you think you are and who you used to be. And that's hard to give up when that's all you've known. It's really hard. Especially if you have things tied to you that has been created out of the choices that you've made. But once freedom starts to snap those chains and you start realizing who you really are, there's risk in that because you, you're going to have to make a step forward. You're going to have to move toward. The, the jail cell of your life has been wide open since the cross. And he's been asking you to come out and he's not going to force you to come out. You just got to walk out. The, the door's been ripped off. And that's hard to do. And sometimes we forget that. We forget how hard it is to move towards Him and experience His Lordship and His freedom. So we keep Him in the place of His Lordship. We remember that He's good. And so that's why when we encounter Jesus, He totally wrecks us, right? It's like this morning when we were in worship and Dwayne was sharing that about the fruit of the Spirit, and he's saying, you already have that. When Ange was sharing about abundance, you already have all the abundance of the Father. When you really start pondering that, and thinking, that'll wreck you. Because you thought in the past that you had to earn that, right? i got to do this and this and this to get to the fruit of the Spirit. i got to do this and this to get to His abundance. And the Father said this morning, you've already got it. That's dangerous. That's not safe. Because when you start thinking, okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, therefore I can be the fruit of the Spirit, and I have His abundance, therefore I can walk in His abundance, that causes you to think and walk differently and make you try new things. So now you're going to risk. Because where you thought you were in lack, you wouldn't risk dare opening your mouth and suggesting a new idea. You wouldn't dare trying out something different than how you've always done it. But if you realize, well, I have the Father's abundance, and I have the fruit of the Spirit, and I have the things that are promised to me, and even I have the grace that even if I mess up when I try to step out, it's okay. <laughs> See, we're getting directions this morning. We're getting a download. It's good. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do, I've got a couple more points, but we're going to wait and we're going to do them next week. I'm just going to kind of 
I'm going to write them out so you can kind of see where we're going. I'm not going to talk about them. I'll just write them out. Somebody said amen from the mouths of babes. So we start with Jesus. We make disciples. Right? When you know Jesus, then you start sharing Jesus. You're making disciples. And all, all disciple making is, is family. It's just family relationship. You're causing your family to grow. You're causing your family to, to uh, be bigger. This is going to be fancy words, but I'll explain it. Missional incarnation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the coming weeks. Jesus came and lived as one of us. He was fully God and fully man. That's the incarnation. Okay? He, he, he was sent to be that, that connection. He lived fully as one of us. And so the call for us is to do that missionally is to go out to wherever we are and be with others. To be full of Jesus and fully involved with the people that we come in contact with. Not to be separated, not to build a wall, not to, to push people back, but to incarnationally live with one another, which is what Jesus did. Jesus lived like one of us, he worked like one of us, he breathed like one of us, he ate like one of us, he walked with us, he even made himself lower, right? He made himself human and then worked supernaturally through his humanness, which is what we're supposed to do, right? So, missional incarnation. And then here's, here's another fancy one, but we'll... we'll We're to have an apostolic mindset. We're to think apostolically. And when I say apostolic mindset, I'm, I'm saying that we should have the fivefold ministry working amongst us. We make disciples. We're extending our family. We're reaching into our communities like Jesus did. We live like one of them. And, and how we're doing that ministerially is through an apostolic mindset. We have the giftings that Jesus gave to us when he ascended to heaven. We're called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Every one of you in this room operate one way or another in one of these five. It's called the fivefold ministry. We've been teaching and, and talking and wishing and hoping that those things will take place. But can I tell you, you're already doing them wherever you're at right now, whether in your family or in your business or whatever. You're doing one of these five. You might even be operating in and out of a couple of them. Jesus did all of them, <laughs> and Jesus is in you. So I think you can fluctuate a little bit, okay? But there are some that are called to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. That doesn't designate that you've got some church somewhere. It means that you're in the kingdom and you're doing business, kingdom business. So you could be acting apostolically in your family or in your business. You can be acting as a prophet 
You can be acting as an evangelist. You can be acting as a shepherd. In other words, a pastor. You can be acting as a teacher. And so maybe we need to have a refresher and go in and maybe take some five-fold ministry tests and kind of see where we line up and where we fall. I think tied to that, I think we could do maybe either the Enneagram or a, another personality test because I'm finding out, because I, I'm a shepherd that leans towards teacher. I'm a shepherd teacher. And I'm finding that there's a lot of nines, like me, that's on the Enneagram, that are shepherds and teachers. We're great at keeping peace, but none of us want to <laughs> none of us want to step into conflict with anybody, right? Because we want to keep the peace. There's a lot of us like that, that rolls on that. That's why we need apostles and prophets to help us out. <laughs> so I'm a nine. I'm asking apostles, prophets, and evangelists kind of step up and out and out. All of us operate, okay? And, th and this next one is going to help too. We want to make disciples. We want to be incarnational in our mission. We want to operate in the fivefold giftings. And we want to be organic. And what I mean by organic is sometimes that slow growth, we talked a little bit about that today, but it also means that every single one of us, every single one of us has the power to do what we do. It's not just me. It's not just Dwayne. It's not just the worship team. It's not just our children's teachers. All of us operate in our mission. I mean, we've shared that our mission is to declare that hope is here. All of us can operate in that, and all of us can deliver that. All of us can reproduce that. It's not a one-man show. It's not a two-person show. It's all of us together in community as a family doing this, which leads us to this one. Now, when you look at that, that, that word is not community. The word's actually communita. It's a little different than community. And really, it's just a fancy word for this. Family. We operate as a family. Families die for one another, right? Families give their lives for one another. Families, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's the old adage, blood is thicker than water. It doesn't matter how much they make you mad. You're still family. You're bonded together. You're comrades in arms. You're walking this thing out together. You're moving forward together. So if we're organic in our growth and, and we're constantly sharing, hey, listen, this isn't a one-man thing. This is all of us working together. All of us are doing this together socially, spiritually, supernaturally. We're all walking this thing out together, and we're all on the same page. There's no one higher than the other one. We operate in the fivefold together. I know in the church it's been taught before. You know, you look at apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, and you think, well, the apostle's the highest. He's the one that, you know, he gets the big office. Hogwash. <laughs> Paul was the apostle. Did you see all the stuff that he went through and he did? <laughs> he didn't get some nice shiny office somewhere. He wasn't making the big bucks. He worked like everybody else worked. He, did, he played his part in all the things that need to be played. And that's what we do. We all work this and walk this out together. And when we do these things, it moves us into this position of we're walking together as a family. And Jesus is always the center. So every single one of these goes back to Jesus. 
this is who this is how we operate in our freedom in our community and we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna kind of hit a couple more of these before we get closer to um uh when we get closer to easter um, but just remember this this idea is not safe it's going to take risk it's going to take stepping out it's going to take it's going to take relationships with other people it's going to take i'm just it's going to be honest with you it's going to take maybe sometimes walking in here and seeing somebody come that you might not expect to come or maybe you thought would never come before it's going to it's going to take you maybe taking a big swallow and holding it back and looking at looking at the situation and looking around and going the father welcomes everyone let's love and let the father do what he does let's love and let let's let jesus do what he does let's love and let the holy spirit do what he does let's let him move let's let him work if there's things that the Father needs to remove, He's going to remove it. There might be some things that the Father doesn't remove that you think should be removed and they don't get removed and you're just going to have to deal with it. And there's some ideas and there's some thoughts that the church has been carrying for a long time and hopefully through stuff that we've been talking about over the last few years, even before I got here, hopefully your mind's been open enough and, and able to hear it in your heart enough from the Father that maybe some of the things that we were taught may have not have been the best way to operate <laughs> and the best way to relate to people. And some of the ideas that we had maybe wasn't really the Father's ideas and the, and the ideas that the Father had. I'm finding out more and more that I just need to, if I look here, and here, it's easier for, him, for me to make Him Lord, and I don't have to worry about all the other. I, it doesn't matter to me the, the you know, I, I just have a lot of friends that are connected to some weird prophetic stuff sometimes, and I'm like, I don't need to know that the third candle from the left meant this or that. That doesn't amount to a hill of beans when it comes to his life, his words, his ministry, and making him Lord, and seeing our community become part of the family. That, it doesn't matter to me. People ask me about my view of the future all the time, and I tell them I'm a pan-millennialist, pan which means it's just going to pan out, because he's Lord, Right? I have thoughts and ideas, and we, and we can sit over coffee and talk about it. It's way different than the way that I was raised. But can I tell you something? It doesn't amount to the hill of beans if, he, if I don't follow his life, his words, and his ministry, and I make him Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because in the bottom line, when it comes down to it, he's Lord. <laughs> it's going to go the way he wants it to go. <laughs> it's, it's all good in him.